0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Enfledged by Watch and Walk Ministry. Uh, this program has been crafted uh, to help all of us um, and to also encourage all of us to apply the teachings of scripture. My name is Ebenezer Edigenfi. Well, For the past um, eight weeks, uh, we've been looking at uh, Matthew chapter 5. We started with actually John chapter 1. Um, in our first uh, discussion where we learned that the word of God is a person as in Jesus Christ who is full of grace and truth. And then with that understanding, we'll jump to into Matthew chapter 5. and uh, We've been in Matthew chapter 5 for the past um, eight weeks, and by God's grace we've learned a lot um, about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, today uh, we're going to have our final discussion uh, for this summer series. And because of that, we have the core members, um, all the people who have played a key role in uh, making this possible with us. To just emphasize some things that we've been learning, some thought that we've been uh, picking from Matthew chapter five. Uh, So I have Jenny Chilton, I have Jackson Adama, Cecily McWayne, Richard Sapon, Eric Hamuzu, Philip Thomas, and then Mariah Humphries. Uh, Thanks a lot for joining us um, and God bless you for all that you've done, all that uh, you've, you've shared with us, and I've been blessed. And I know our audience have been blessed as well. Well, um, today, uh, before I let Jackson pray uh, for us, we are going to look at the concept of grace and truth uh, in Matthew chapter 5. As I, as I began um, by saying, you know, the word of God is a person, and, and Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. So the whole idea is that we want to embody we want to make the word of god part of our life so when we study uh bible and god teaches us something we want to make it uh, applicable and so we're going to look at the concept of grace and truth and each panel member is going to have um, some minutes to just share with us uh, the truth that the particular lesson talks about and then the grace uh, that it reveals um, to all of us and also one thought um about application when i say truth and grace truth is really about the uh, instruction that god has given to us or jesus gave gave us even through these um teachings and you know of course we have all acknowledged that these are hard teachings these are radical truths and i really i remember the analogy that dr gregory made about a rubber the same amount being a rubber like a rubber pulling us to god and we can never achieve it but it's more like a grace uh, puller, if you can call it that way. So um, to, to do that, we want to get. Uh, we want to emphasize the fact that these are truth, These are binding truths on all of us, all humans, especially believers or uh, Christians. But then also, there's also grace. There's grace in that lesson, in that passage. And then we want to talk about the comforting aspect, the encouragement. What has God given on, on to us to help us to embody the truth that we have learned? And then also, of course, as I said, the last part has to do with application. I mean, each of us is going to have a moment to share what he wants to, or, he or she wants to apply, wants to do, um, in deference to the things that we've learned. And um, so that is what we're going to do in the next um, 45, 40 minutes. And uh, after, after that, we just have a moment of medita- meditation and prayer. And so before we start, of course, I'll let um, Jackson pray with us. And then we'll start with Cecily. Thank
1: you. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the weeks we've spent uh, reflecting on your Son, Jesus, the Word of God who came to live and dwell among us. We come before you this afternoon, even as this is the uh, last day of the flesh series. We pray that by your Spirit you will empower us uh, to embody and enflesh uh, these Countercultural ideas uh, that we've looked at the last few weeks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks a lot. Well, Cecily, we, uh, you're going to look at uh, lesson two, where we started with the uh, Beatitudes. Um, poor in heart, uh, poor in spirit, I must say. Um, the I think pure in heart and peacemakers and all that. So what did you pick?
2: Yeah, this is, we had a really great beginning, Jackson, Eric, and Dr. Gregory helped us to, to really introduce what is the Sermon on the Mount? What is Jesus talking about? How is he using this to introduce the kingdom and what his great ministry is going to be on earth? And so Dr. Gregory helped us a lot, seeing the, the context of, of getting into this. And and he quoted Bonhoeffer, talking about the term of an achievable ethic, and Ebenezer, you've already mentioned the the rubber analogy that that he used of yeah. the truths here, the, especially the beatitudes, showing us what it means to live a blessed life, a happy life in God, is to pursue righteousness. And so, um, in in this, we see, yes, as you've mentioned, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those are who are hungry and and they thirst for righteousness. And in each case, it seems like Um, it's the people who are impoverished. It is the least popular people who have a place in this kingdom. And in this way, as we've seen Jesus do in chapter five, really turn everything on its head, head, what we think is popular and good and the people who've earned something. Jesus says, because of what I have done, it's the most unlikely people who get welcomed in to this eternal kingdom and participate with, with God in really fascinating ways. So for me, I would say that the essential truth we learn from this passage is that righteousness brings blessing, brings happiness, Mm. and maybe even more to the point is that righteousness is blessedness. Mm. Righteousness is this happiness. To be righteous is the happiness. And so often we think, I just want a blessing. I'm I'm ready for God to bring a blessing into my life. And how blessed would our life be if we found to be in Jesus is the blessing, not just the gifts that we get or when things are are happy and good, but see, even these people who experience um, a hunger and a thirst, it's for God and they're fulfilled. I am reminded of um, a little poem that's attributed to John Bunyan, but I've never been able to find a place where John Bunyan actually says this or, or wrote this, but... It says, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. So that's the great grace of this message is that people who do not have agency on their own, who are in this state of great poverty without God, have the eschatological hope of the help of the Holy Spirit of salvation and redemption from Jesus. And this is what brings the blessedness. This is so the law commands things of us and we can get there. That's the good news. We can get there because of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the world. So my closing application is that as I'm thinking in my life, often I think I want to be a good person. I want to be a happy person. And I'm, I'm working to reorient my life to say, I want to be a Kingdom person, because the joy of this righteousness, of being partnered with with God in this unique way of being a, a child of His, a follower of His, a participant in the Kingdom, surpasses anything I can imagine in this mm-hmm. world. And I find that the hunger and the, the thirst for righteousness is fulfilling, because I can get there with the help of the Holy Spirit and, and, and God in our lives. So. A hard message uh, Jesus gives us here, but the hope—the hope of the gospel—is present mm. all the while.
0: Wow! Thanks a lot um, for that. Now uh, let's look. Let, let's um, go to Rich. Um, you looked at mercy, right? Uh, peacemakers and yes.
3: Yeah. Uh, so t- uh, following through uh, from where uh, Cecily ended with a team of righteousness. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the verse uh, 7 to 13, I think it's strong over there that God demands righteousness or desire righteousness for everyone. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is that the world does not be like righteousness, it rather persecutes righteousness. And that is what uh, the verse 11 to 13 actually talks about, that Uh, Righteousness will be persecuted Uh, and that that tells you that the world does not uh, like this life of righteousness. But, what really gets me thinking is, what is this life of righteousness that Jesus described here, that is so offensive to attract persecution from others? And, it describes it, he describes it as a life of peace making, mm-hmm. as a life of purity in the heart, and as a life of mercy. And you and I might think that this this is an attribute of a person that you want to spend the rest of your days with. <laughs> but but the contradiction that you see in this uh, sermon is that that is a, really the life that the word persecutes. Mm. And and that baffles my understanding. And I think I will link it to what Jackson have said earlier on that it appears that the world's orientation and Christ's orientations are uh, move in uh, parallel directions. Mm. And and for that matter the things of God which is actually life and which should bring fulfillment and which should bring happiness. And blessedness, as has been said, is actually the life that the world rejects. And I think the book of Romans 1 uh, really talks about that the world actually suppresses uh, every deeds of righteousness. But mm-hmm. God desires that we all live a righteous life, and that life, as you look on this, uh, as you consider this text, is a life of fulfillment, and mm-hmm. is a life uh, of fullness, not emptiness. Mm. Uh, And that is a life God desires for every one of us. Mm. Every one of us. Mm. Every one of us. And that life is in Christ. And that is what uh, we study in uh, John 1, uh, the first chapter of the Gospel of John, that Mm. that life is in Him. And whoever has the Son, indeed have this life of mercy, of being a peacemaker, and a life of purity in the heart.
0: Mm. Um, Thanks a lot, Rich, uh, for that. Um, Maya, we looked at, um, I think, Matthew 5, 13 to 16, as well looked at, and yes, grace and truth, and then uh,
4: point of application there. Yeah, so we, I think it was several weeks ago, we talked about the job of SALT, Mm -hmm. and the panel did a really great job, um, by the way, breaking down the purpose of SALT and how SALT was and is used. Um, It was just a really good informative session. So if you haven't watched it, I encourage you to go back and do so because I (laughs) took a lot of notes that time. Um, And then we talked about the power of light and how as light, you're a representative of God, but what is it that you're displaying? Um, We had Dr. Howell, Jenny Howell on that day. And she mentioned in this passage that Jesus tells the disciples to be salt and light. And as we've already discussed in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus came here not to destroy, but to fulfill the law. And the disciples are called to preserve the reality that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, which is why we are called the salt of the earth. And one of the things I'm reminded of in this passage is that we have a covenant of salt with God Mm -hmm. and for All time, God will preserve his people, not only to abide with God, but to have fellowship with those around the table. So -hmm. not only does God have a covenant of salt with the disciples, but they are the salt itself.
5: Mm -hmm. And
4: I think Christians have heard this passage so much in our lifetime. I know I have um, as an early um, follower of Christ. And so when we hear the words of salt and light um, used so often, I think too often we take it less seriously than we should. And I think we tend to toss around this phrase, almost like a catchphrase, if that makes sense. And um, yet we haven't fully embraced the fullness of the calling of being salt and light. And I think one of the biggest things for me is that this is not a weak statement in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's a—it's not a choice. Like this, There's weight and there's accountability to being salt and light. And it's not just something to reference, but it's something really to be and to live out fully. And um, I think within the Salt Life passage, we see Jesus calling us to be heroic. Um, Ebenezer sent us an article earlier this week about being a chocolate soldier and how chocolate melts under heated pressure and tension and um, and how the softness of it and so I think it's CT Stud in this article um, talks about being um, heroic and God's um, calling us to be so um, and so I think that really is evident here with being salt and light um, but considering salt and light I think there's some powerful elements they're strong elements. They're not, they're not wheat. They're not easily broken down. Salt's so a preservative, a flavor. Um, its strength can even break down other elements like steel, something we consider to be, you know, one of the most powerful. So I think those are all very important. And there's a lot of weight to that um, mm-hmm. as far as Christianity goes, but light's powerful as well. And it works against the source of darkness. Mm-hmm. And so by Jesus calling us light, we're being called to bring people to Jesus Christ and his goodness and his grace and truth. Um, and on our lesson before we talked about how we are light and we need to remember that this is a statement, not a choice. Um, so therefore we're shining something to others, but what are we bringing them to? And are we bringing them to Jesus or are we misusing our light and our responsibility there and shining on ourselves? And I can't remember who it was, but I wrote down that someone said that, um, Uh, we're being a stumbling block to others when we project upon ourselves and take that um, lightness away from Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I guess another way to ask it would be um, what are people learning about Jesus from our actions? Mm -hmm. Um, How are we projecting him? Mm -hmm. But I think God's called us each to something. Um, I mean, we can have assurance that his word is true and we know that we're not being led astray So, we need to be able to rest in that truth and grace. Mm -hmm. I think probably the biggest truth from this passage is actually something that Jackson said earlier in this study. And that's a, um, and I think I'm going to quote him, maybe close to a quote, um, that a true Christian life will always live as God, receiving all of the glory and credit if Mm -hmm. we are truly shining as Jesus commands us to do. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a great responsibility with that. And it's not to be taken lightly. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now in the U S we're in a political season. We're in an election year and as political seasons go, it's heated and there's a lot of division, um, but this year is exceptionally divisive with racial tension on top of a pandemic that seems to be having everyone on high alert. Mm-hmm. So my challenge and my practical application, I guess, to myself with this passage is to, be, um, is to filter my thoughts, my desires, my fears, my pain, my hurt, my anger um, through the lens of being salt and light. Hmm. And how are my words and my actions and reactions to others reflecting the love of Christ? Hmm. Or are they reflecting the love of Christ? And I think that's probably the bigger test for me at times right now is, am I even reflecting Christ? And then if I am, am I truly reflecting the love of Christ? So am I showing those around me that Jesus is truth and his love is for each one of us? Or am I showing people it doesn't matter what you think? I'm gonna take this stand, whether I have the backing of scripture or not.
5: Right. So
4: for me, it's am I filtering my thoughts before they ever become vocalized and visible actions? Am I filtering those through truth and grace? And I think that's my personal challenge wow. with this passage, but it's a it's a hard one to yeah. follow for sure. It's yeah.
0: difficult. We pray to God for grace. Thanks a lot, uh, Mariah. Uh, Philip, you look at the law and the prophet uh, did not come to destroy them but to fulfill. Then you talk about the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Yeah.
6: Yeah, so uh, as I was uh, reflecting on this passage, so I would like to talk about the, the truth in it and the grace and then the application. Uh, if, so if you remember um, from that passage, we know that through the incarnation, the expiation, and especially the interpretation that Jesus gives, He's the culmination of the law and the prophets. Uh, so it's not that the law is done away with, and it's, it's not that it no longer applies, but it, it's, it, it, because it is a reflection of God's character. But the law is limited in terms of working out righteousness in us. So because Jesus says at the end of that passage, the righteousness has to exceed
5: mm-hmm. the
6: righteousness of the Pharisees. So it requires a transformation of the heart, not merely just keeping the law. Um, and that's the truth in that. The grace in this is that the righteousness that we ought to have, that we should have, is the righteousness of Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. It's the life of Christ in us that enables us to grow in righteousness. It is never ours to begin with, and we don't lay claim on it. It's, it's all due to Christ. Uh, and it's the work of this righteousness is, is the life of the Holy Spirit in us, mm-hmm. just living, it, living that righteousness out, and the outworking is based on like a relationship with Jesus. Mm. So instead of keeping rules, we 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 are imitators of Jesus. We pursue, mm. as as you yourself, Ebenezer said, we we pursue this person, mm. and in him we find all righteousness. And it's not just merely pursuing rules, uh, as the Pharisees did. So as I was reflecting for the application, um, it caused me to reflect on one of my favorite Bible characters, was David. Um, was who was passionate in his youth about God's commands. I mean, the whole of Psalm 119 mm-hmm. is just how much he adores God's commands. But the sad irony is when he was like that as a young man, but later in his life and the glory and height of his rule, um, he broke a couple of commandments. Mm-hmm. With You know, when he sinned with Bathsheba mm-hmm. um, with adultery and then he had her husband murdered and, um, And I was reading, uh, I read this book called Leap Over a Wall by Eugene Peterson. And based on this episode, um, in the life of David and Bathsheba, this is what uh, Eugene Peterson says. In the Christian life, our primary task isn't to avoid sin, which is impossible anyway, but to recognize sin. The fact is that we are sinners, but there's an enormous amount of self-deception in sin. And when this is combined with devil deception, the task of recognition is compounded. So what I learned from that is that, first of all, when David was convicted of sin, he immediately confessed. And he realized that no matter how passionate he was about God's law, he was inadequate to keep God's law all by himself. Mm. Uh, So as Eugene says, it is impossible to avoid sin, but it it is possible with the life of Christ in us to have dominion over it. Mm. And there's a difference there. So the law and, you know, God's law and God's love and another dichotomy, the way to see it is God, God's love breaks you, it condemns you in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love how Ravi Zacharias said it. You, never, you don't break God's love, but you're, you're broken by it. <laughs> um, but God's love is there at the same time when we recognize that we have sinned
5: mm-hmm. to heal
6: us, to redeem us and to restore the relationship with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sin no longer means death and it doesn't define our future. It's grace that defines our future. There may be consequences, but God redeems us and Mm -hmm. he restores our relationship with him. Mm -hmm. So just three quick applications and I'll close. Mm -hmm. Um, What I would like to apply in my life is that I want to extend as much grace to others Mm -hmm. uh, as possible because I'm not in a better place than others. It's to Mm -hmm. recognize that um, we're all sinners and that others need grace, especially those who recognize that they have sinned. But also secondly, to convey the truth of God's law without compromise to those who say sin is not sin. Mm-hmm. I think that's the greatest problem uh, we could face. When God has called something sin to, to say it's not, that is where even we see in the life of Jesus that he's a bit hard on that. Yeah. So I want to convey God's law without compromise. Mm-hmm. And finally, to be humble. I need more humility, knowing that it is a lifelong journey for me to understand how I practically apply God's teachings mm. and how I receive God's grace, yeah. and how to apply in different circumstances. So I yeah. need humility. Yeah.
0: yeah. Thanks a lot. Um, I like the thought about humility. Uh, remember, uh, Dr. Steele, our dean uh, here at Truett, made a, a comment some time ago that for you to understand scriptures and apply, you, are, you have to stand under scriptures. You Know and so he the humbling aspect is, I mean, it's really um, convicting to me. Yes, now Eric, uh, you looked at Matthew 5 21 to 26, where it talks about anger and murder and uh, reconciliation. What do you have to say to us?
7: Yeah, so, um, in this lesson, um, we established that Jesus Christ. Um, is the ultimate lens through which um, scripture is uh, interpreted Mm -hmm. and then its sole interpretive guide. Um, Mm -hmm. Which stands to reason that by applying scripture from the Jewish Jesus point of view, we are led to perform practices that is unrecognized and that is unapproved by God. Um, So it is important um, and it is no surprise that Jesus, you know, uh, sees interpretation of the law uh, in this scripture, exposes a fundamental error in the Jewish uh, teachers' explication of that same law. You know, so in the eyes of the Jewish teachers, um, the divine law prohibits only the sinful act, uh, not the sinful thought. In other words, uh, they were disposed to rest in the letter of the law, you know, and um, they never inquired into the spiritual meaning of it. So when Jesus says, "Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment." Uh, or whoever insults his brother uh, would be liable to the council, he's not only um, implying that these behaviors are sinful, but also that they should be considered in the bracket of murder, which is viewed by the Jewish leaders, you know, as an abhorrent act, you know, that warrants judgment, right? Mm. But this does not suggest that uh, anger is equated to murder, like we explained in that lesson, but alludes to something even much more deeper. Mm. Um, The state of the heart at the time of anger is the same as the state of the heart when one is about to commit murder, and mm. both could lead uh, to destruction. Except that anger may take a longer, you know, time to achieve the same goal, if not channeled towards the right course. Mm. Uh, so we realize here that uh, you know it is significant to be mindful of the conceits of our hearts, just like we established in our lesson mm. uh, when our emotions are stirred to anger. But what are some other things we can take, you know, from this? Um, mm. It is clear that Jesus places a significant value on the relationships we share with, you know, others. He wants us to carefully preserve uh, Christian love and peace with our brethren. Also that if any time a breach happens, we should labor for reconciliation. Um, hence, we must constantly seek um, to forgive those who have wronged us. Mm. And the same applies to those whom we have wronged. We must right. make the effort to desire renewal of friendship mm. so that if there is no reconciliation, it may not be our fault, you know, and this should be the believer's way of life. Also, we must constantly reflect on ourselves and our emotions so that we can put our, out any fire of anger that, you know, manifests in a way that will lead us to destruction. By doing this, we become free to worship without any hindrance, mm-hmm. just like the, the, that passage said. Let me also say that sometimes I am inclined to agree with the statement that it is easier said than done. Because being or speaking eloquently is no replacement for action. It's Mm. just something different. However, I believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, just like the Bible says. And Mm. is profitable for what? Doctrine, Mm -hmm. for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So in this case, by applying these teachings, for me, I believe that I am doing myself more good than harm.
5: Mm.
7: I also find this as a way of expressing my belief and hope in the ultimate plan of God's redemption. Mm. which is a hope I know we all share mm. and subscribe to as believers. Finally, let me, let me end it by this. Um, because I understand that my anger doesn't always produce the right reactions like we established in that lesson, mm. I've made it a conscious effort to pause and reflect constantly. I think mm. Justin mentioned this, you know, a couple of weeks back in that lesson. Yeah. Uh, see, this is the thing. I used to be a very angry kid, and um, I felt like the world, you know, didn't uh, understand me when I was growing up i would always find a way to justify my anger but one thing i came to realize for sure is that i'm never at peace or satisfied um when or even if something evil happens to the person i am mad at Mm. see so like justin said i allow myself a reflective distance Mm. i find that to be so important in this um agent this time even for myself so um Mm. this is the thing i understand that i cannot always insist insist on my own uh, rights and ability to administer justice. So I sometimes leave it to the ultimate judge. Also, I don't always uh, have to keep reminding myself about Jesus' rule on this matter. Rather, I take comfort in the fact that I am obeying God Mm. when I examine myself constantly and apply the principles he teaches in his word. Also, I have come to realize that by constantly forgiving others, Mm. I relieve myself of every negative emotion Okay. That is a potential threat to my health and spirituality.
0: Wow. Thanks, thanks a lot, thanks a lot, um, Eric, uh, for that in-depth um, analysis there. And, and this is uh, very edifying thoughts there. I'm really grateful uh, for your lives. And I'll, I want to just read something before I move to uh, Jenny from Nana Otrebuateng. He says that the law in its entirety points to one thing. The visible manifestation of God, that is Christ, among his people. Jesus, while on earth, was the exact representation of his father. That's God, in, uh, as in uh, Hebrew 1, uh, verse 3. And this is why Jesus is Christ. And he said that the message of the prophets was to reveal the coming Christ. That is Jesus. Very great, very uh, powerful there. Thanks a lot, um, Nana Otre. Now, let, let's, let's, let me go to Jenny. And you looked at Matthew 5, 27 to 37, and um divorce, adultery, that was my one of my toughest weeks. I'm I am i will say my toughest week, my one of my toughest ones. <laughs> but yes, um, grace, truth, and application.
8: Yeah, so you, you gave the, the easiest one to me. <laughs> Just kidding. Um <clears throat> so yeah, these these passages, Jesus Addresses, um, moves from talking about anger and murder to talking about adultery, divorce, and then finally talking about oaths. Um, and as we studied these passages, as we looked at them, I think that I was all of, throughout talking about all of um, Matthew chapter 5 and this whole in flesh study, I've been really struck by the idea that it's, so much more important that we do the things God has called us to do with the right heart than it is that we just do the things um, that God really, truly does care what's motivating us and what is at the heart of our actions. Um, And so looking through that lens at these passages, um, I think that we see this truth that Jesus does, affirm and care about the sanctity of marriage and of um, relationships. And um, Jesus is saying that it's not just about what your actions are. It's about what your heart is. Um, And talking about, Sam still kind of pointed out, you know, this passage about cutting off the thing that is causing you to stumble, ripping out your eye or cutting off your hand is this hyperbolic language of you know, this is something that would be so drastic, but that Jesus, the truth here is that Jesus really is calling us to something that to this world looks drastic, um, to cut out things in our life that are causing us to stumble. Um, and then moving from that to thinking about divorce and the fact that Jesus does not condone divorce, that Jesus is, is, um, is calling us to a higher standard um, of saying, you know, just because something is legal doesn't mean that it's right or that you should do it. And so Jesus here is once again, calling us to examine our heart behind, especially in his times when men would divorce one woman so that he could marry another one Um, that looking at the, the interplay between, Um, what is legal versus what is right and what is in your heart. Um, And then taking that all the way to thinking about oaths and thinking about how um, our yeses are, should be more than just swearing on something that we really have no control over Mm. that it's, a a yes comes from our integrity. It comes from a place of what is what we intend to do. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not about whether or not we can come up with this really great sounding, you know, promise to someone. Our words mean nothing if they're empty, if they don't have actions to back them up. And if those actions aren't coming from a place of integrity and a heart of honesty Mm -hmm. and so those are the truths that I think Jesus calls us to hear. Um, but I think through in and through these passages we we see the grace that um God doesn't leave us in this alone. You know, Jesus said, No temptation has come upon you except that which is common to man, and he mm. will give you the strength to overcome. That's my loose paraphrase. Um, but God is not saying to us, you know, well, too bad. Like you're just not capable. Kind of as we've been talking about, as Ebenezer has brought up about Dr. Gregory's illustration with the the rubber that you know the pulls. That this is the the um, the essence of of God here giving us a really high standard and then saying, "I really do expect this from you," but I also have grace for you when you inevitably fail, mm. um, because this this is not an easy command to keep um, not to ever have a desire for something or someone that is not yours or to break a promise. We've all I'm sure broken promises um, or said, said yes when we maybe didn't intend to follow through. Um, And so I think that another, so application coming out of this, um, for one thing, I think, It's to avoid situations that we know um, would tempt us to unfaithfulness, um, whether that be watching, you know, provocative TV or movies um, or something else, just to cut those things out of your life as painful or as hard as that may be to have to tell people, yeah, I can't go see that movie with you because this is the reason why God has called me to a higher standard. Mm. And that is going to probably look weird um, and seem weird but that's something that we're, we're called to do. And then also carefully considering what it is that we give our yes to um, and what it is that we have the heart and intention behind to follow through because we can say yes to a lot of really good things and miss out on the best things that God has for us. Um, we can so. say
0: yes to a lot of good things and miss out on the best thing that ha- God has for us. Hmm. Worth pondering thanks a lot um Jenny for that well um Jack uh we're moving to the final one you know, what, that, yeah. what we discussed last week uh, yeah. 38 to 48 where it talks yeah. about loving uh, your enemies the definition of perfection yes uh, help us
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> and again i i I'm very grateful uh to have been part of this uh conversation it's It's been eye opening and um in fact um just like Jenny took the difficult part of divorce here we we see the same thing with Christ giving uh certain um instructions that in our day. Will be considered uh, radically countercultural. Now, the the passage recalls the Beatitude of peacemaking, and and Jesus says uh, in the early parts of the of the text, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God." And the verses thirty eight to forty eight uh, is a commentary on the peacemaking beatitude. Uh, we see this especially in verses forty four and forty five. Where Jesus said, uh, "But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be that you may be children of your Father in heaven." In our reflection on these verses last week, uh, we underscored the fact that nothing reveals our filial relationship with God than the reconciliation, than the reconciliatory and transformative practice of loving and praying for our enemies. It is through that that. Uh, people see uh, that we are the children of God. Um, God's redemptive work on the cross is oriented towards the reconciliation of all things, in that the cross brings together both the oppressed and oppressor, the victim and the perpetrator of violence, for their enmity to be transformed by the power of the spirit. Uh, This sets reconciliation at the heart of the gospel. But unfortunately, the church has in many ways contributed to the division that exists in our world today. Uh, this lesson is therefore a wake-up call that our identity and mission as a church is in jeopardy since we have shirked our responsibility to build bridges across class, racial, and tribal lines within our walls. Uh, to be the children of our father, we need to do more than embody the ethics of our of we need to do more than embody the ethics of non- non-violence. Uh, we must pursue reconciliation. However, we must juxtapose this call to reconciliation with an unequivocal stance against the injustice uh, that we see around us. And this will call us for us to take, and this will call for us to take the side of the victims of oppression, while working and praying. Uh, for the transformation of the oppressor. And for me, here's the hope. When we stand for reconciliation, we stand on the right side of history. Uh, Through the mouth of Isaiah, we learn that a time is coming and even now has begun. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the vipers' nest they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Mm. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Mm. And Paul also anticipating this new age, which has already begun, said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Um, The presence of the church in the world is in itself an announcement that the old age, the age of oppression, of violence, and of persecution is passing away. And it is in this confidence that the church is expected to go forth in its identity and mission as peacemakers. Yeah. And in, in to give a practical application of all that we, we've learned in this case is 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 that one thing that for me stands out like throughout the enfleshed uh uh, series is the fact that we need to read we need to read scripture through the eyes not through the eyes of the strong and privileged the original audience that received these teachings from christ were not the high and mighty but they were the lowly and and what that means is that like as walter Brueggemann will say anytime we are reading scripture we need to enter into that kind of world that produced the scripture the people of israel Uh, the disciples, whose memoirs we've received, uh, whose epistles we've also received. They were not the high and the mighty, Mm. uh, but they were the lowly. And so what that means is that anytime we are reading scripture, for instance, we are reading the Exodus, as Walter Brugman will say, we shouldn't be in a hurry to see ourselves as the people of Israel. Uh, But we should rather ask ourselves, in what way am I a Pharaoh? In what way am I a Pharaoh? Someone who is standing up against the purposes of God. Mm -hmm. And it is through that that we can really embody uh, some of these teachings. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, we need to have a scriptural imagination. That means standing where the people originally stood, those Mm -hmm. who received it. And Mm -hmm. they were not the high and the mighty, Mm -hmm. but they were the lowly. And that is what I'll leave us with. Yeah.
0: Wow. Uh, Thanks a lot um, for that. So we should watch the way we read um, scripture. Yes, I, before I, I round up, I have some few uh, minutes. What I'm going to do is just uh, ask the spread leads. Uh, just one minute. <laughs> I'll give to uh, Richard one minute. Uh, general encouragement, I mean, uh, fleshed. Matthew 5, to everybody who has been following, uh, just encouragement, one minute, and then maybe if you have more, we just uh, take a couple of um, thoughts from other people before we round up. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I think my part, I didn't talk about the application part, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I will just chip that into, into it based on what has been uh, discussed. But it is clear to us that the scriptures is not just a book that we have to read and then be very knowledgeable about it. It's actually life because... We said from the beginning that the Word became flesh and it dwelt among us. So we are supposed to be the Word, and we are supposed to reflect the Word as a light and as a source of this world. And for me, I think uh, for married people, I would say, is that in that text, it's very important that as a husband, I watch my eyes and I watch my mouth. Mm. because when Jesus talks about divorce and separation and all of that, he talks first about lust, and then lastly, he talks about be a yes man or a no man, that people should be able to depend upon your word, what you say. Mm. People should be able to trust you. Mm. So for me as a Christian husband, what I say to my wife and my children, they should be able to trust that. (laughs) And then secondly, I should watch what I, what I watch, the things I see. Mm. Uh, Because they, the two have a very big effect in destroying my relationship. Mm. And that is what, that is not, that is not the purpose of God uh, for, for me uh, to, to not make sure that my marriage works. So I need to watch those two things. That is an inspiration I will give others, Christian husbands, Mm. to really watch what they are seeing. I receive it. Watch what they are saying. (laughs) What they are saying and what they are seeing is you look at those two things because those two commands sandwich the command about divorce. And you have to look at that, yeah.
0: Okay, thanks a lot. Cecily, one minute. And yes, we still have one minute, yeah.
2: (laughs) I would just say what I've been learning from our, our reading of Matthew 5 and just from everyone's discussion is when we rely on God, it's a, it's a communal activity. So that's what I've been learning from scriptures, that God uses the community to teach one another. And so even what we've been learning, I think the truths have come alive because we're talking this through together. And so Jesus, we watched him in his ministry bring in people um, who he discipled. And taught, hey, if you want to know how to live this, come follow me. Let's come do this together. And so he's given this great message that we've all said, it's really hard to do. And so the good gospel hope for me is that it can be done because of the Holy Spirit. And part of that is let's all do it together. Let's Mm -hmm. work together to make that happen.
0: Let's do that in community. Thanks a lot. Um, Before I round up, uh, there is a comment from Juliet Alcobedi. He said, wow, this is really great. I've learned a lot. Bless you, and uh, of course, um, I also learned a lot, and God bless you. Uh, So, well, today, if I I play our theme song, I think we've learned a lot, and uh, I've been blessed by the edifying comments and thoughts. And I will just revisit the objective of the point I've been making making, um, over and over again, that the word of God is a person. It has a person, like it has a personality, and then it has, you know, it's like there is a personhood even in the word. So there's a person and who has a personality. We looked at the grace and truth. I think we try to apply that even to this um uh, discussion. Now, what I would say is that of course we looked at John John 1, where the word of God full of grace and truth. And then later on, Jesus in his earthly ministry, uh, he, he told the people, disciples, people were following him that the word that I speak to you, in John chapter 6, the word that I speak to you, they are spirit and life, alright? In chapter 8, he tells the Jews who believed in him that if you abide in my teachings, then you know the truth, and then you shall, the truth shall set you free, alright? You know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So when he was doing his ministry, earthly ministry, he emphasized the fact that not only was he the life or the truth, but also the word that he spoke, To them, or the way that He speaks to all of us, uh, Mm. as spirit and then their life. So, what is the truth? The truth is that Jesus is alive. After resurrection, we know that Jesus is alive. Okay. And then that also means that the Word, which is a living Word, or the Word of God, is also alive, active. And I I saw this um, when I was looking at this thought. I saw this in Hebrews chapter 4, and I was really struck. I never saw it that way, but um, I've never seen it that way. But then Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. He said that the word of God is living and active, okay? Sharper than two-edged um, sword. And in pierces into you know, the division of the soul and the spirit, and then he judges the intent and the thoughts of the heart. When you move to verse 13, he said that no creation can be hidden from his sight. So now, he said no creation can be hidden from his sight. Meanwhile, he was talking about the word of God. So the writer of Hebrews now us see that this is a person we are talking about. It's not just a word of God It's living, living and active. But we talking about, you know, someone who is really moving in our midst and, you know, wanting to just help us embody what order he has said so that we can um, apply that, we can make it part of our life. So, you know, the words that we are learning or the teachings that we are trying to uh, pick up today, uh, they are life and they are living and they are active and they will help us um, to really be the kind of people that God wants us to be. So I, I'm so um, glad that we've been able to share all these things. And my prayer and of course my application is to just pray uh, for grace, uh, to be able to apply, and embody this. And that is why I always keep on emphasizing this, the disposition of your heart impacts your capacity to flesh or embody the values of God's kingdom. So my, my prayer or my uh, application for myself is just praying um, over these things that I've learned. That God helped me, you know, put my heart right, orient my heart and help me to assume the right posture so that I can accept the word. I will accept what James said, implanted word, which is able to save my soul. And then when I do that, of course, then I tap into the grace of God. Okay. And then the last thing is that when Jesus said that the truth will set you free, of course, we see these are radical teachings. But then the liberating power, the liberating component of truth is the grace of God. Okay, so when we see uh, that this is so hard, remember that God in Christ has given us all that we need for life and godliness, you know, as we continue to meditate and reflect on this. So today I'm just going to give us that opportunity, okay, I'm going to play our theme song, it's going to run the full uh, time, I've just been cutting it short uh, any time, but today we're just going to play the full five minutes and it's a time for us to reflect and pray over the things that we have um, learned. We understand um, that when we pray, we are acknowledging that we cannot do this. Okay, when we pray, we are expressing our humility and we are standing under, under the word and we are asking for God's grace um, to help us embody what we have learned. And when we pray, we are also asking that the Holy Spirit will continue to remind us uh, of this and grant us the inner strength uh, to be able to um, make that part of our lives. So prayer is something that I... I believe that um, God wants us to do. That's why they watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. This, these are tough teachings, but if we don't watch and pray, we we'll definitely uh, diso- disobey them and we will fall into temptation. So we're going to give ourselves that time. And it's a time for all of us. We are farmers, good farmers. We want to be the first to take all the fruits. So we're going to be praying for ourselves. And as we are taking that first food, we're praying, ourse- praying for ourselves and reflecting on how we can model this in our lives. also going to pray for all of you who are listening to us that god will help you holy spirit will continue to lead all of us into all truth and remind us anytime we pick scripture and we open and we are listening to the word of god we remember that we are not dealing with just scriptures we are dealing with an encounter with god himself and if we allow him he will make us you know the people that he has really purposed us uh, to be so as i said uh, this is where we end and flesh and uh, summer series. We definitely really come back, but you just watch this space. You can follow, watch, and walk on Facebook to get updates on the next edition. I'm sure it's going to be somewhere in Christmas. But uh, we have ended the summer series. My prayer is that now that you know these truths, Jesus said, blessed are you if you do them. Let us pray, even as we listen to this song.